I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Escaping Casteberus, the Who Culture podcast. My name is Rich and I'm joined by the ever lovely Amy. Hello. I don't know why I say ever lovely. It's because I'm lovely. Should be never lovely. Shut up. <laughs> but we are going to be rewatching the entirety of New Who. So that's Doctor Who from 2005 to now. And every single week we'll be recording our thoughts on going back and rewatching it. Basically like sort of like a semi-review slash rewatch kind of thing. Because uh, a lot of people have been asking me uh, over on the Twitters and things when I've been doing ups and downs for Doctor Who on What's Culture's main channel. Obviously, that will be moving over to Who Culture, which we really, which we launched only a couple of days ago as of recording. Um, people have been asking me to go back and do ups and downs for all the classic series and all the previous, like, because I've only done ups and downs for series 11 and 12 so far, so only Whitaker's era. Uh, so a lot of people ask me to go back and do ups and downs for series one. And I don't really want to do that for a couple of reasons. One, Ups and Downs is like heavily scripted and I do the entire thing myself. So it's it's quite a lot of work alongside all the other stuff I do uh, of what culture. And also I'm horrifically biased about the old <laughs> series, um, especially as you'll hear for the first 13 episodes or 14 episodes of this uh, of this series, because I am a big Eccleston fan. He <laughs> is my boy. So I'm very, very biased towards series one. And I don't think I can give any downs ever because I think the series is just immaculate. So I thought instead we would do a podcast where we just sit and we talk about Doctor Who. So Amy here is my partner. We've been together for six years. Six years and a few months. Got that right. Thank <laughs> God. My mind just went blank. It's like, yes, it's six years. And we both love Doctor Who. In fact, it was the yes. first thing we started talking about back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Doctor so, Who brought us together. It, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so we figured we, we and we've wanted to do this podcast for a, for quite a long time, doing a rewatch podcast. And ever since Who Culture became a thing, uh, I managed to get this over with the old management. So we've just had the green light to just do this. So it's really exciting that we can just sit and talk rubbish about Doctor Who with you. And I would love, I'd love to go back and do the retrospective stuff, like I said. Uh, and I think this is the best way to do it rather than try and overly script it. So if you are new to Doctor Who, welcome. If you are doing your rewatch and I 
don't know how many times I've rewatched series one. This is probably like my 50th time watching series one. Then welcome. If you're new to the, the show, we're going to hopefully lead you through a little bit as to giving you a bit of backstory and the interesting tidbits and things or the things that you would notice when you rewatch because we've literally just now sat and watched series one, episode one. Rose, Rose, which aired on the 26th of March, 2005, which means we were both nine. Oof, that's a throwback. <laughs> Do you remember actually watching Rose back in the day, like no, on broadcast? weirdly. I mean, I know that we probably did because my dad was sort of the person that was like, oh, have you girls heard of Doctor Who? No, maybe. Yes. Well, sit down and watch it with me. So we probably did. But I feel like because I was nine years old, I just don't really like it wasn't such a staple thing so like i didn't really ingrain it into my mind all that much like in the same way i don't remember watching the first harry potter film like you know it's it's that kind of reminiscent like it it obviously was important in hindsight but i don't really remember interestingly on a weird segue already i remember watching the first harry potter film oh i don't i very vividly (laughs) remember watching quirrell turn to stone and it scared me to death (laughs) as a kid i don't remember watching rose either i think i I remember seeing the first advert for for doctor who the one uh of eccleston running down the tunnel with the explosion behind him he's talking about trip of a lifetime i've never seen any of those trailers i need to i need to show you that but i remember seeing that on um uh on bbc one back in the day and it must have said at the end when it said you know doctor who returning saturdays at seven and i remember saying to my parents oh there's this there's this thing called doctor who that's returning and my parents my parents watched doctor who back in the 70s and 80s but they weren't like super into it unlike i'm guessing your dad was well i don't know whether he was super into it or not like i think he liked it but it wasn't like he was never a a, a whovian or whatever they're called nowadays a whovian um yeah you know, he, it was always just kind of this thing that was on. So it was just like, you know, it was a, a I suppose, like a childhood thing. Like yeah, just, kind a, of tea, just a weekly tea time staple, um, I guess. But I wouldn't say he was like overtly a massive fan. He was just kind of like, yeah, I watched a bit of Doctor Who back in the day. Yeah. But, but I, don't, I don't remember, what, like I said, I don't remember watching it um, being aired. I was pretty bad at keeping up with Doctor Who in series one because uh, when I was growing up, I was doing dance classes on Saturdays. And they were usually all the way through the day into the evening. So I don't really recall watching masses of, uh, of of Doctor Who. There are a couple of moments we will talk about in the future of the in the next couple of weeks on this podcast about our experiences with watching the episodes back in the day and why I managed to miss this, that and the other. But um, I really picked up on the series properly about four or five episodes in. Um, like actually watching it week to week, but again, we'll get back to that. So I think I watched, I think I watched Rose on my on my DVD release because they released the DVDs in sections in four chunks of the series. Yeah. Uh, quite soon after the uh, the the episodes aired, so I have my original four DVDs uh, that are like my prized possessions, <laughs> um, which we'll actually get to in a bit. Mm. But yeah, so we are going back and watching through all of Doctor Who week to week. So yeah, we're starting with series one, episode one. Obviously. Which is Rose. Yeah. And first things first, there's no cold open at all. You come straight in with, I would still say is my favourite title sequence. Just the best The original 2005 sequence Mm. with the original version of Murray Gold's theme, which was, they did about four or five different versions of that theme. Uh, the Murray Gold, the original mm. Murray Gold one before it got completely redone in 2010. Um, I love that title sequence to bits. Yeah, I, it's I, so like I said, I still think it's my favourite. It's so simple. That's what I like about it. It literally is just like, boom, space time, space time continuum, boom, TARDIS, boom, space time. 
Done. Boom names, boom <laughs> title. Get, let's get on with it. Fabulous. We, we will talk about uh, opening sequences as the series, as the whole, as this whole series progresses, because they change for better or for worse mm. as the series goes on. <laughs> if you're new to Doctor Who, you'll you'll see it change alongside um, your viewing. Mm. Um, but then straight away, it jumps straight in with Rose and her day to day, which is working at. What's it called? Some sort of clothes store. Begins with a H. It's not Harrods. I don't know. I don't remember. But she works, she works in a clothing store. She lives in London. She goes and meets her boyfriend at lunchtime and they leave all their rubbish on the fountain. Yeah, oh my God. I literally was like, they've just oh. left all the rubbish on the fountain. Why? And Why? after Rose has done all of her thing, she has to go downstairs to give Wilson the lottery money. And the lottery money. Uh, and that's when she first comes across the Autons, which were <laughs> created by Robert Holmes back in 1974. I want to say mm-hmm. Spearhead from Space it was uh, John Pertwee's first ever episode oh, first yeah. episode in colour actually uh, the Autons originated back then so I think it was good that they went with uh, a semi-recurring villain for the first episode yeah. back because obviously as much as this was a reboot of the show it does continue the continuity from the 1960s to, from like 1963 to 1989 familiar enough that people who have watched the show in the past would be like oh these are the autons but also new enough for people like us who were nine years old and new to the show yeah. to be like oh what's this living plastic it's scary it's weird enough but yeah as you say the people who watched it back in the day will have known because I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be people who are listening to this who are watching the series for the first time because the thing about Doctor Who is especially when you talk about it now that the show's been uh, on for 15 years post reboot 15 years. I know um, is that no one knows when to jump in yeah and they get really concerned and I always say to, to obviously obviously being a, an Eccleston fan I always say don't skip nine don't skip and you nine. shouldn't skip nine mainly because they lead you in so well if you mm-hmm. jump in with Tennant you're going to have uh, missed so much. The Christmas Invasion and New Earth, you miss a lot of why of the build-up. So if you are jumping on this for the first time, we want to hear your thoughts on, on social media as well as to what you think about the show. If you're watching it for the first time, it does lead you in really well. Mm. And especially when you're going back and watching it again, there are so many nods, so many things that we will point out over the course of these podcasts that you realise um, like the way that a character says a line or the way the Doctor looks at Rose in a certain way because of future events that you yeah. know about. Like in we hindsight. find out in the future about the past mm-hmm. prior to Eccleston as to why he, he says something this way or why he's like how he is. Um, so yeah, if Rose meets the Doctor down in the basement of this shop because the Autons are coming after her. Wilson! Wilson! <laughs> and he grabs her hand and says, run. And we get that first little chase sequence and they end up in a lift. And there's just this kind of weird banter between them. And going back and watching this again, I realise there's a lot of the sort of Colin Baker arrogance in Nine Mm -hmm. in this first episode. I did notice that they, like, one of the things I picked up on rewatching is, like, I mean, I haven't watched series one in God knows how long, but um, they get on so well straight away. And I think that is, like, really key point to their kind of like development because at first she's literally like who the bloody hell are you and then literally all of a sudden it's like they're walking along the street together they're laughing together they're like do you know what i mean so it's kind of like a very welcoming approach to the character i think that's one of the reasons why i love eccleston so much is there's so much to his character mm-hmm. there is the fire that's there from the time war which again we don't really hear about the time war i can't remember exactly when it is uh in the series 
that he first properly mentions the Time War. I don't know. I feel like it's a bit later on. It might I th- actually. I think it was. Um, I think it is actually Dalek when he's in the lift with Henry Van Staten, um, where he mentions the Time oh, War for the first yeah. time. But like, there is that anger, and then you've got that whimsicality to it, and the mm. silliness. So after. Um, I'm sort of explaining through the episode, even though I'm assuming that people listening to this have just watched it as well. well. <laughs> um, Rose, you know, the, the doctor blows up her job and mm-hmm. then she goes home and then the doctor shows up at the house, at the flat, sorry. And there's this really interesting thing where they introduce the doctor as an alien. Because again, if you don't really know the show, um, and if you if you manage to go this far not realising the doctor's an alien, then well done. Um, they do this really clever or it's an interesting thing that got redone a lot not as well as the series progressed mm-hmm. um where they show off the doctor's sort of alienness in rose's flat because he's there like fannying around with a book you know yeah. he uh, opens a magazine and says he's gay she's an alien because he walks straight in and she's like coffee and he goes yes please milk and it's like that's the most normal human thing you would probably say and then all of a sudden picks it this magazine and goes that's not gonna last he's gay she's an alien it's like flicks i'm sorry a, what flicks through a book <laughs> supposedly can read it in five seconds and Ooh, goes all sad, sad ending, ending. And then he starts pissing around with a with a deck of cards. <laughs> like he has no up, idea what they up are. in the air, and there's this all this <laughs> you know background comedy aspect to it. And then he notices himself in the mirror, which obviously with the way he reacts to it is the first time he's seen himself mm. after he regenerated from John Hurt. Sort of spoiler, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and they 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 do this thing where they make him alien, but they don't make him stupid. Yeah. Which is something that if you know the series we already know from Matt Smith, like the way that they characterized his doctor is they made him really a bit, uh, oh, what's the word? I mean, I don't, want to say, I don't want to say a bit thick. I mean, he is a bit thick. He is though, a bit thick, but he's he has this sort of, of alien, alien it's, it's silliness. It's the lack of understanding culture. Yeah. I and I get the doctors are different like personalities, but I feel like the way that they introduced the alien nature of Eccleston here was so mm. well done. They humanised him so well, especially later on when he goes, lots of planets have a north. Like yeah. Rose's line about how come you sound like you're from the north, that's like a very easy way to humanise him so that you get used to him being like kind of human but kind of alien. And I think they did that really well. He has this sort of, yeah, the, the, the banter between the two is something you didn't really see in the classic era. Like the Doctor was very, as much as that we had, we had a very pompous, we had pompous Doctors and we had very down-to-earth Doctors but you didn't really see the companion Doctor relationship like that. They were never particularly friends. They were more just a companion. They literally were a companion, yeah. Um, so seeing that new approach to the companions there's also a good a breath of fresh air because mm-hmm. just the decline of doctor who in the late 80s wasn't solely down like solely the show's fault because we had uh, michael grade like grind the show into oblivion because he hated it so much exactly. but the show did get stale they got really mm-hmm. stale the storylines were kind of dumb even when looking looking through survival which is the last serial ever before the show got cancelled in 1989 it's just really kind of dumb like cheetah people I mean it's sort of one of those things of like I suppose if like you've been running a show for how long is it by 20 something years by that point yeah then... I mean John Nathan Turner had been running the show for like 15 years mm-hmm. so he I and... mean it's hard for something to for a show this kind of um that needs episodes that are so individualistic like I know you can reuse monsters and things but like every episode needs to be different like you can't go to you the can't same literally planet or the same things. plot whereas things like soaps for example have hundreds and hundreds of episodes because how many storylines can you have about somebody's getting somebody else's girlfriend pregnant do you know what i mean but if you had a show like this needs to have 
every single episode be different. So you would obviously become exhausted at trying to find new ways around writing yeah. different stuff. So yeah, they 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 re but literally rebooted the relationship between the Doctor and the Companion. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is Rose. And yeah, there's this fantastic shot after the Doctor's been at her flat where they're walking from the flat back towards the TARDIS. And there's this shot that goes on for like maybe a minute and a half, two minutes of just one long shot of them walking and talking. It's really well. And it's like, brilliant. It's so nice to see that kind of... You don't get that in modern, like really up-to-date Who now. You don't no. get the kind of... In that shot, you see the evolving relationship from literally when she leaves the flat door to being like, who are you? And then they get to the end of this walk and all of a sudden it's like they're busy mates. Like that's kind of the, like the, you can see the evolution happening in front of you the further down this walk they get. And the fact that it's all one shot works really well. Whereas yeah. in like modern, really modern who... You like, oh, you've just met? Well, you're my best friend now, or bye. Yeah, they don't they like... don't explore that kind of relationship so much. And I think that's why Rose is so beloved, because they did give her the time of day. Like this episode is literally called Rose. Mm-hmm. And they do everything in their power to um introduce her the best way that they can. They show her sort of relationship with the doctor they show her curiosity when she's researching him mm. and then they they explore the relationship between mickey and rose and most of the most of the time mickey and rose are together in this episode they don't look like a very good couple no, do I... they like mickey's quite he's quite kind of not forceful but he's he has very set expectations for rose mm-hmm. like when he's um when he arrives at the at the flat after her job's been blown up and she's a bit she's a bit down in the dumps but she doesn't really care she she knows what's happened but she obviously can't say anything else people will die <laughs> and mickey's like oh let's go to the pub but there's a, there's a match on that's kind of why i want to go and then when he <laughs> leaves he's like proper like come on kiss me on the cheek come on and then he leaves and it's kind of like i mean i don't know whether that was just kind of 2005 relationships in a yeah nutshell, though, probably really? one of the other things i really like about rose and it comes up quite a lot in this episode is when the doctor literally turns around and goes is that okay she goes yeah it's like her I like think, straight I think away she's... acceptance of stuff like just like oh he's, you're an alien okay great and yeah, just I think carries she, she on doesn't, she doesn't doubt herself so the evolution of her becoming this like badass by the end of series mm-hmm. four it does make sense it doesn't feel like a sudden change in her character because she's always been very much she will kind of believe what's ahead of her mm-hmm. like if she can see it in front of her then she'll believe it when she goes to see Clive he thinks he's full of crap after he starts talking about immortality and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Like, she's not convinced. But when she sees it, she's like, okay. Yeah, now I understand. Now I, now I get it. It's something that comes up in the next episode as well. And we will talk about this obviously in the next episode. But when she goes, he's blue. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. Great. Yeah, he's blue. Like, fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll, just we'll, we'll, we'll just go with that. <laughs> like, I think, I think Rose is still probably the best companion of the new era. Like who gets a full series? Because I know that people yeah. people put Captain Jack up high, and it's like, yeah, but he's not. Captain Jack's not really. A he's com- not really a companion. I mean, he is a, sort of. He's, he's not a, a he's not a series companion. He's he a comes and goes. Companion. <laughs> um, but there's so much more to Rose, and as much as they have the universal significance plot, which we again we'll get to over the course of the uh, the series, um, for series one more specifically, um, they don't jump in with that. They no. jump in with here's. A nineteen-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, just, I forget she's, she's nineteen. Nineteen. <laughs> she's working in the shop. Yeah. She eats beans on toast, eats chips, and goes to Ugh, bed. Beans on toast. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just had this random bloke just arrive and change blow her up life. her job and blow up her job <laughs> and change her life forever. So 
it's a really a really good way to introduce Rose to everyone mm-hmm. and a new sort of variant of the Doctor to the people who know the Doctor and then introduce the Doctor in general to a whole new group of people. Like the uh, the speech he has at the end of that long sequence, the long walk mm-hmm. sequence where he talks about he's he can feel the world revolving. Like it's not very often that kind of approach to themselves or the doctor's approach to themselves you hear that in the series you don't because he 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 kind of does believe the world revolves around him but maybe not because he's an arrogant asshole i sort of feel like he takes the kind of this is what i like about his doctor so much is the heaviness of his character is played really well because obviously he's just come off the back of the time war hasn't he so everything that he does is for a very specific effect and yeah, he's an arrogant asshole, but I think he puts that up as a kind of shield to like protect himself from what has actually gone on. Yeah. And the fact that he's sort of like is really serious when he's like, I can feel the earth spinning, I can do this, I can do this. Later, as this like the whole sort of new who progresses when you get to David and you get to Matt, you lose that. Like David was very good at it as well. Yeah. But uh, like Eccleston kind of carries that. He like shows it on his sleeve in like a very easy to grip way but you don't know why Mm. but like he's just very good at portraying that kind of heaviness but also it's a very like you said it's a very good way to introduce him to rose and the audience at the same time because like you said you don't really get that kind of speech with anyone else like david had that very good element of like showing it at points like when he got too big for his britches eccleston i don't think got too big for his britches but he was always keeping himself in check by making these kind of, like, by sort of summarising to Rose, like, who he is. Like, he was like, I can't get too big for myself. Yes, I'm an arrogant prick because that's who I need to be off the back of what I've just come from. Yeah. But I'm not an arrogant prick in the thinking, I can do anything and everything. Because really, he like, he says it himself, I'm just a man passing through. And yeah. that evolves then to... I don't know, suddenly becoming the saviour of the universe, but... Obviously, we're not going to... We're going to try not to sort of spoil big plot points and things. I know <laughs> we've, we've mentioned, like, future things happening, but we're not going to go into too much detail on them, mainly because there are whole episodes and specials and things that will mm-hmm. we'll go through the, the backstory. Because if you... The beauty of Doctor Who, especially if you're new to the series with this podcast, which would be so cool to, to be the people to sort of introduce you to this, because obviously I know that we're big fans of the series anyway, but... Even just watching that first episode back again, it's like it's it's also just really great it is just drama. A really it's so good. good. And you know, like I said, Doctor Who getting stale and being kind of silly, like it, it is kind of silly uh in the grand scheme of things. And there are moments which we'll get to in this episode that are quite funny. Um, some of the best gags they've ever put into Doctor <laughs> Who in this first Amazing. episode. Um but there's this grounded nature to it. And it's something that, you know, you get fans that are obsessed with things. You get it with Doctor Who, you get it with Harry Potter, you get it with Supernatural, Star you get Wars, it with Star everything. Wars. Like there are, there is good reason as to why people get so obsessive about mm-hmm. it, and especially with the law, because there's so much to it. And at this point in the series, the events that transpired between the 1996 movie and now are still unknown. They're, yeah. they're mapped out, the ideas there, because that's what Russell, D- Russell T. Davies came back with when he rebooted the show I was going to say, because that's one thing that I never really realised when... Originally, when talking about classic who, I didn't realise that the time war wasn't a thing. Like that was Russell yeah. T Davies introduced that, and I think that's really really cool. It was it was to give it fuel after the events of nineteen ninety after the yeah after the events of nineteen ninety six. They needed to give it something mm. because the way they got the way they tried to reboot it again in in ninety six with the movie was they just brought the master back. Yeah, and the master became really one dimensional and just mm. a bit rubbish. 
Whereas in this, they were like, they, they put so much more mystery behind the Doctor, which was actually something they were looking to do if the series uh, continued into 19, 1980 or late 1989 or 1990 with series 27. Um, they were going to be, they were going to introduce the Doctor as a character called The Other. Um, who would have been, who would have worked alongside Rassilon and Omega in the formation of the Time Lord Society, which again, judging by the current estate of Doctor Who post-series 12, is is very much up in the air. Um, And they were going to make the Doctor this like godlike character in reality. And it's like, they've just, that that thankfully didn't happen. Yeah, thank God. Even though the Chibnall's just done it. (laughs) But they were going to do so much more with with, with the Doctor and try and like, plonk a load of backstory behind the character in one go mm-hmm. which to some extent they did with, yeah, but they with did series it really 2005 nicely. but they did it much quietly much more quietly and also because there was nine years mm-hmm. between anything could have happened yeah there was I nine mean, nine years after nine the movie human and, years. and like <laughs> how many years after the show after like 17 no something or other 16 years after the show yeah, sixteen years after it went off air in uh, in nineteen eighty nine. So they they added all this lore, this mystery to the Doctor, and that's kind of the beauty of Eccleston's Doctor, especially you, as you said, you get it kind of with Tennant, but with mm-hmm. Eccleston, there is so much more mystery behind him, and that works for both. You know, solid Doctor Who fans have come from the nineteen eighties and back, broke and came back in two thousand and five, and for the people who are new mm-hmm. to the series, so Rose. Uh, has obviously met the Doctor a couple of times. The Doctor buggers off in his TARDIS and she's now going to try and research him. Now, even with all the noise that was made over the course of the classic series, the Doctor's still relatively unknown. Like, mm. the, the scale of things you see in Doctor Who isn't present throughout um, the old series. Like, the world-ending threats, they just kind of didn't really exist, mainly, yeah. probably mainly down to budget. I feel like also that's a really good way to sort of introduce him as a character that we might not necessarily know because you don't get this kind of overarching sense of I'm the doctor. Like for example, in Matt Smith's series, obviously no spoilers, but like he has these whole, like I'm the doctor, check your record speeches. Whereas Eccleston is very much, I'm just nobody. Like I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be this overarching, all powerful thing. I am just somebody that you guys are going to get introduced to and that develops throughout like the character development into david and into matt like he does slowly become this person who you sort of revere in oh my god he's going to save everyone but eccleston's doctor is very sort of he just happens to look into these situations of like oh i just happen to be on earth and the nesting consciousness is here whoops so i'm gonna try and stop it like yeah. he's not really a. I have this duty and this responsibility. He just sort of does it because what else is he going to do? I mean, he, he still stands by his moral code of I need to give him a chance. Oh, I mean, yeah, he yeah. says about the nesting consciousness towards the end, like I'm not, I'm not here to kill it. I've got to give it a That's chance. That's one thing I love about Augustine's Doctor is he's very, like, on the side of everyone deserves a chance. Apart from the dialogue. Apart from we'll a dialogue, that. but that's understandable <laughs> with, with what happens, which again, we'll get to in episode six. Oh, is that uh, really episode six? Episode six. Oh, I don't want to wait that long. I know, <laughs> but we, we can get through it. It's gonna, we're going to breeze through this while, we, while the weeks continue to fly yes. by in the current state of affairs. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Rose goes into looking and in, looks into the Doctor and there's not much she can find. This is one of the first and kind of only points in the series where it's really shows its age for being 2005 mm. because Rose goes to Mickey's and she gets on his 
that you know, computer good though. Old, big old beige <laughs> CRT computer and goes on search-wise.net uh, to research the doctor <laughs> and she finds Clive uh, played by Mark Benton and wonderful actor wonderful I love actor Mark and Benton. a really over, a really um underused character mm. um obviously if you've watched you i'm assuming you've watched the episode if you're listening to this because obviously clive dies right at the end of the series and uh, his family are all a bit like ah everyone who who agrees with you always interested in this doctor is a nutter um well but, they, obviously before he dies that's before he the, dies but you know um once you've been shot by a plastic so dummy <laughs> yeah so he's like a conspiracy theorist and he's got all these files on the doctor and he's obviously he's managed to keep up with obviously eccleston's doctor uh and he gives the he's he's not only explained to rose who he is but also the audience is the fact that this is someone who is it's he's immortal or it's a title passed down from father to son but here he is back in like the late 1800s and he's himself it looks like him he's yeah. got his jacket on there he is at the assassination of john f kennedy uh i say funnily enough the day before Doctor Who originally aired, yeah. um, 19, uh, the 22nd of November, 1963. Mm. Um, and then here he is back with a family before they well, were going to go on the Titanic and he said, don't, and they didn't. Um, so he's this really interesting character that introduces the, 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 well, he just plonks a bit more mystery of the Doctor onto um, the audience, but also it's like reaffirming to people who are coming back that this is what the Doctor is, it's someone who can travel through time. Exposition. But not rubbish exposition. It's not, let's give Jodie a spotlight. <laughs> oh my God, look at that and, thing. And everyone sits down and listens while Jodie spits out it's, some exposition. It's very, very well done. And that was the sort of thing that I picked up on a bit throughout this episode is there is exposition points, but it's not horrific exposition, like literally just standing there and going, what is that blinding light in the sky? Oh my God, it's a blinding alien. Like, oh my God. Like, it's very much like, explaining it to the characters to explain it to the audience and it's not it's not so obvious that that's what it's doing which i think it obviously leads you in much nicer but if we go back to that that walking sequence if they'd have just shot that of like shot reverse shot of the doctor and rose in the flat that would have been the most dull yeah part of that but because they went and did it in a single shot like i don't know how many takes it took them if they did that so natural and it felt natural then people won't pick up on it as being a bad thing mm-hmm. because they're just walking along and talking and as much as you will need exposition in episode one yeah they do it in such a way to not make it really dull. feels like you're a fly on the wall as yeah. opposed to um breaking the wall like uh, you know how comedians or like tv shows will break the fourth wall it feels like instead of being that fourth wall you are just in the episode with them like there's no direct sort of exposition to the audience which they play upon it's yeah. literally just exposition to each other well like the companion was always the sur- the audience surrogate in doctor who and this episode takes that up to the extreme because you spend so much time with the companion like there's not that many episodes of doctor who especially new who that take place primarily from the from companion's, companion's point of view you get loads of doctor episodes and you get loads of non-doctor non-companion episodes mm-hmm. Um, but just purely companion is quite rare and that's how they managed to get this over so well they tell you so much in this first episode if you just sit and listen yeah. uh, and like I said there's when certain things happen you can look at it differently when you know the the, the events between 96 and now and you know what's going to happen in the future you can see the way that it was all mapped out you see the way the Doctor reacts to certain things um, and yeah, back to Clive. That whole section of him talking about who the Doctor is and Rose not really believing him because it's not the Doctor saying it or it's not... She's not seeing it with her own eyes because she's not seen any 
Well, she has. She has taken kind of seen aliens. She's seen the the shop of dummies, but I think she's not entirely convinced, convinced about it yet. Uh, and she didn't see the TARDIS dematerialise no, after that walk. But, she heard know, it, but she didn't see as it. As far as she was concerned, it could have been a lawnmower. So <laughs> at this point, Mickey is a bit. He's very sceptical. Like he's not met the Doctor yet. No. Um. So he's sat out in his in his bright yellow beetle. I mean, realistically, though, wouldn't you be a bit sceptical? What? I would be a little bit. Oh, of Clive. They're just yeah, just in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. your girlfriend random... suddenly comes up to you. And goes, By the way, I'm going to go to this random Especially in 2005, like meeting somebody on the internet was not <laughs> the same as meeting somebody on the internet now. I've been emailing him. We're talking about this dude that exists. I, I mean, mean, it's the fact <laughs> she's been emailing him and not like Facebook Messenger or <laughs> WhatsApp or TikTok. Who like all emails these, anyone all these anymore? Kids do now. Um, <laughs> so he's outside looking really skeptical, and there's this really interesting sequence of uh, this bloke bringing a bin out. <laughs> Uh, that's empty, funnily enough. Why is a, why does a bloke bring a bin out that's got I'm nothing in it? I'm still convinced that he was an auton. I Maybe. know he doesn't look like but it, but like he literally a... wheels this bin out, looks Mickey dead in the eye, just drops the bin and leaves. And I mean, walks back it's because there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a black guy he doesn't know sitting <laughs> in a car on his street. He's like, hmm, <laughs> Who are you? not sure about this guy. Oh, 2005 Britain, all fun. Um, and Mickey sees this bin and it starts like shuffling towards him. He goes over and opens it. And the bin is obviously now been uh, possessed by the nesting consciousness and it swallows Mickey whole. During that sequence, I'd love to imagine just somebody crouched in the bin running along with their feet. They yeah. cut the bottom of the bin out and they're just hopping along the street. And Mickey gets sucked in and then they make, they make the bin burp. <laughs> and it's like, cool. So this is the first time they... they there's obviously a bit of humour, the dialogue between um, the Doctor and uh, and and Rose. Uh, the, I, I've always... I, Forgot about this. The um, the doctor coming into the flat for the first time. And oh yeah, Jackie, uh, uh, Rose's mum, sitting, stood in her dressing gown. She goes, "There's a straight. Uh, I'm in my dressing gown. There's a strange yes, man in my bedroom. Yes, well, there is. Anything could happen. No. <laughs> and I remember, I remember watching that episode with my dad for the first time, and my dad killed himself laughing at that line. And obviously, as a kid, I had no nine idea, years old. You like no idea what? what that was implying. And basically, it's like there's a man in my bedroom. Please do me. Um, <laughs> poor Jackie. Um. And you know the doctor being choked by the uh, the arm when when Rose brings the coffees out and he just walks past him and he's there with the with the arm on his neck and he's just like <laughs> she's just nonchalantly walking past him um, and yeah the bin burping is kind of silly but hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Uh, when I went to the Doc 2 experience uh, back in 2007, I went to Cardiff to be part of a Blue Peter competition. Uh, <laughs> and getting to be in Car- getting to go to the Cardiff because we we did the the stuff with Blue Peter in the Millennium Center which is the big like bra- like bronzy brass building mm-hmm. behind the waterfall with all the words on it. That was where we did the Torch stuff in there. Word. Um and yeah, being stood in front of the waterfall be like A the TARDIS has landed here, B torch was underneath me. Oh my god. Uh, but when we were there me and my mum they had a doc- they had the Doctor Who exhibition. At I think it's called like the Red Fox Center in yeah. Cardiff, and this was only like I said, this is two thousand and seven. This is series three, so mm-hmm. uh, the Doctor and Martha, um, and in that experience, my mum went round with me, and she 
obviously didn't really know masses about Doctor Who, don't know how much of it she'd actually watched, but she knew that I was a big fan, so we obviously went to this ex- exhibition. And on this exhibition, they had that bin. Oh, did they? They had that black <laughs> Just bin. Just a random With bin. the three on it, because I think they had some of the autons or the, the you know, the, the plastic dummies that had the costumes, because there were real people in there that had to give them, like, mm-hmm. pinprick eye holes and uh, nose holes to breathe, which Weird. must have been awful for the actors. Um, but they had this bin... Um, they had like the display and then off to the right was this bin and it was like, open me. <laughs> and I was there like, did it nah, burp? Did nah. it burp? No, it oh, didn't. And God I, I was it. there like, I'm not going to open this bin. I was terrified. Oh, as, really? much as, as much because I, I was I was a huge wimp as a kid. I was a massive wimp. And again, we'll talk about as stuff in, in Doc Shutter. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about stuff about like stuff that scared us in Doctor Who as a kid. But this bin was there and I, my mum was like, open it then. It's only a bin. I'm like, but you didn't see what it did. It ate Mickey. It <laughs> What's ate it's just going to eat you? Mickey. So I had no, I thought something would jump out and eventually my mum opened it and she was like, there's nothing in here. Look in it. All it was, was a, they'd like, they'd like angled a CRT TV inside it. If you opened the bin, you, they just had the clip of Mickey being eaten by the ah, bin right. on loop. But the fact they just <laughs> put this wheelie bin <laughs> just a with wheelie a sticker bin. of a number three on it and said, <laughs> boom, attraction. Um, and put that in. Amazing. So Mickey gets eaten by this bin and he's replaced by a, a, a plastic replicant, duplicate of him. And Rose doesn't really notice as much as he looks really like shiny and weird. His hair's all plastic. Yeah, you do sort of you get in. It's like, has he just been dipped in wax? It's like, Rose, Rose, look, he's really slick and shiny. Wasn't like that when you went in. Something's different here. <laughs> but they go and get p- 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 pizza. Pizza. And <laughs> That's how I feel about pizza, to be fair. Yeah, true. Um, and <laughs> so the doctor shows up, he kind of tracks, I'm guessing he's tracking plastic or he the seems signal. to scan that someone's been replaced with a, with a, with a plastic duplicate. And... Uh, he, he he launches a cork bottle, a bottle cork, sorry, into Mickey's head, which he then spits out as he made, he's made of plastic. Yeah. And there's this sort of weird fight. The doctor pulls his head off. And when he does that, there's this shot of the doctor holding Mickey's head. And there's a couple sat on a table. And Mickey's like, he's like, eyes are closed and his head's like dormant. And then he opens his eyes and goes, don't think that's going to stop me. And as much as you've got the, the man and the woman on... Uh, in frame now, bear in mind, this, is, this is written by Russell T Davies who himself is gay he's a very big LGBT advocate and he's done a lot of really good stuff in the past um, he kind of he likes to mix up conventions and mm. one of the, this is probably my favourite gag in the entire <laughs> episode and probably the entirety of Doctor Who ever um, was the fact that they had Mickey say don't think that's going to stop me and then the bloke screams, screams and you just, you'd expect by <laughs> convention that the woman would be the one who would freak out but it's the bloke that, it's that so screams funny. and I think what I love about it is that shot is so well framed that you've got like the doctor's kind of forearms mickey's head and this couple and you really don't notice the couple at first like they're just kind of background you're focused on the head and then all of a sudden he screams and you look up and you're like because it's framed in such a way to think that the woman is the more prominent like second is more prominent in the right hand side of the frame but the fact that it's the bloke that screams so it's it's just they added they added some really good humor in they didn't add humor for the sake of just oh it's the doctor being silly like they kind of did with matt smith it's just they added genuine bits of humor into this it's kind of like how they do humor in the mcu they don't yeah there are moments where it's kind of forced but most of the humor that lands in the marvel movies it's actually good jokes in not necessarily well kind of serious situations but they 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 work Mm. they even in what would be considered a non-funny film and that's what 
happened it works so well in Doctor uh, Who is a drama but it has these little extra it has these little moments. lighter moments and it's it kind of again it plays into it introduces you to this side of the Doctor that is quite funny mm. uh, at times and so yeah they, they, they do this and then uh, they're chased out of the restaurant by Mickey and they finally we finally see the interior of the, the 2005 TARDIS oh what a beautiful reveal I was thinking when I watched this so like when we literally just watched it I wasn't sure how when she runs into the box, like she first sees it, you see her reaction to what she's seeing, but you don't see what she's seeing. And I think that that's really, really well done in the fact that she suddenly runs out because it's like, no, this is too much. Like everything I've, you've just told me, no, this is too much. And then she's like running around the box and then she goes back in and then you see it. It's like, I really like the way that plays out because it sort of, it gives you it gives the you chance to tease. process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like a tease, like, you process what she's seen before you get to see it. And I think that eases you in much better because then she does the whole, it's bigger on the inside than the outside. And then you go, oh yeah, that did just happen, didn't it? Like you experience it together, which is instead of just her running in and it being like, oh, this is what? And then her doing the run around outside thing. Because you get the you get the sort of blue glow, you get the ambience. It's a shame that they revealed the TARDIS in the trailers for... Uh, for the series oh like, did they yeah in, in really the series they revealed <laughs> the trailer they revealed the TARDIS in like the opening of the first trailer for the series which is oh. I can kind of get because I think a lot of people would be interested to see how the TARDIS would look maybe they wouldn't expect it to be any different maybe the fact that they revealed it in the trailer gives them that essence of knowing it's going to be different mm-hmm. and it's but not going to look like, like it like did a- drawing isn't it yeah like, exactly it's a big draw like, this is something different it's something new because I mean I don't know whether it's wholly implied in the early series that this is a continuation Mm. because obviously there's nothing that really screams at you, especially in episode one that says this is a continuation. I think when you get to episode six, when you get to Dalek and you hear more about the time war, that's when they, when it reiterates that this is a continuation of what came before. So then they, obviously the TARDIS is revealed to Rose. We get to see it as well, which is this beautiful, like very, um, sort of cold blue turquoisey approach but it's all very like i think they called it coral was the best way to put it yeah. across the uh the non like glowing aesthetic of the tardis they really made the tardis a living thing because as much as that is it is the same tardis as the one that was in the original series mm-hmm. as in it's the same machine yeah but obviously it's got a different desktop theme which was yeah. the running joke it continued throughout the rest of this uh reboot uh, but they made it more of a living creature and they really do play up on the living aspect of the yeah. TARDIS towards the end of this series. Um, and kind of, I mean, again, I'm just a sucker for series one with Eccleston, but I love, love, love this TARDIS. Oh, this TARDIS is beautiful. And I think it's down to the fact that I think the TARDIS, the first re- the first remodeled TARDIS after this one, I think is awful. I See, I'm really glad that they didn't remodel it for David. Like David's oh, stuck they, with yeah. this TARDIS. I think obviously because Eccleston only ended up doing one series, it was yeah. sort of like, well, there's we've no got point, this beautiful no set, in, we might as well keep using rebuilding it. it entirely, and so yeah. I'm really glad we got like four or five series of this set all together. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, I didn't hate the next TARDIS. Well, obviously, we'll get onto that when yeah, it we comes get to, to series it. Five, I quite yeah. liked it, but this TARDIS is just so warm and inviting, and it sort of makes you. It's it's inviting enough, but it's also got the cold, like alien, yeah. aspect to it. But it sort of becomes like a weirdly like a second home. Like... It, it it becomes a character which you don't really see as much in the old series. Like when you go back and look at mm. the old stuff, as much as so much of the original serial in 1963 takes place in the TARDIS as the series progressed you don't see it as frequently Mm. um 
like it's you, it's not a guaranteed every episode thing. Like I've seen people complain about that. No, uh, I don't think it needs. Even it. in the new series, like there's the TARDIS didn't appear in this episode. So, so <laughs> like, <laughs> you know it's there. Yeah. Um. So the fact that we get to see like enough of it in this, I think we only really see the interior of it like once properly when Rose is in there when they chase after, um, the nesting signal from mm-hmm. Mickey's head. That's like I think that's pretty much the only time in the whole episode you see the interior of the TARDIS until yeah. the beginning of episode two. So, which again is like on purpose, obviously. Yeah, it's, but it's I, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, no, I do really enjoy that. Um, so, and it's 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 great to see it. Like I said, I love this TARDIS so much. I think it is still my it's one favorite, of my favorites. Maybe Capaldi's version of the oh, see, clinical TARDIS second. Uh, no, see, I didn't like Capaldi's. Uh, the, was it his the first or second one. TARDIS? The war- no, the warm one. He had his TARDIS was always warm. No, no I just didn't. Like either of his titles, fair enough. I I really like David's, and I do kind of like Matt's, but Capaldi's was sort of like meh for me. Fair enough, but no, I love I love this Tardis. Like I said, the, the I living the living aspect of it. So then they they the Doctor chases the signal from a melty Mickey through melty to Mickey. the through to the bridge. Which I'm, if I remember rightly, after watching Doctor Who Confidential again, this bridge sequence where they're running across the bridge and looking at the London Eye, that was the first thing they shot, I think, I of the think new I, series. Yeah, recall that information somewhere. Um, so that, that shot of them running along the bridge is like half past ten um, and they have two London buses behind them as they run along the bridge hand in hand. And we were watching it and I went, what's the likelihood that they just have two London buses behind them? Yeah, <laughs> which, funnily enough, they they did that shot so many times they waited so long to get a London bus in the back of that shop because they wanted a London... They're running along Westminster Bridge, for goodness sake. A, that's a really um, iconic <laughs> iconic bridge in Doctor Ooh. Who because the Daleks were on it back in 1964. Um but you know, again, it's 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 Doctor Who. It's a British institution, yeah. So they're gonna they're Therefore, gonna London bus. They're gonna Brit it up. <laughs> um. So yeah, they they waited for ages to get that shot, and obviously they got two buses back to back. Amazing. So I think they were just waiting in place, like um Christopher and Billy at one end of the bridge, and then the crew on the other end with the cameras, and just go. There's two buses. Go 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 go. go, go, go. go. <laughs> um. And so I think that's the first thing they they uh talk about and even even with like introducing new things to the characters when rose asks him what's a police public call box he just says it's a phone box from the 1950s is it a, it's disguise? a disguise that's all he says it's only until no info uh, about chameleon it's only until boomtown which is episode 11 come on test your knowledge <laughs> yes episode 11 uh that we find out about the chameleon circuit mm. which again is something was known in classic who but it's not brought up again until now so that's why series one is such a such a uh, a needed watch. It's I find it baffling that people skip people it. don't watch it. I get that Tennant is amazing. Yeah. He's a brilliant doctor. But Eccleston is fabulous. But Eccleston's oh, great. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> and there's so much you learn from it. That's why mm. when people like when I've spoken to people about whether they've watched Doctor Who before, it's not like my go-to conversation if I meet a new person. <laughs> Excuse me, have you so, watched Doctor Who? Have you watched Doctor <laughs> Who? Um, loads of people say like, yeah, I started on. Uh, I started on series two with um, David Tennant and went, watched through to the end of like maybe either the end of um, Tennant or the end of Matt Smith and then stopped. And it's like, well, you're missing out. So you are missing out on stuff. a bit more heft behind the character if you've not watched series one and even just explain it. Because they don't explain the chameleon circuit again. No. Even with new companions, they don't keep explaining it because it would get pretty, we'd get pretty sick of it. If they I mean, did. the thing is also what I love about the fact that he, 
kind of answers Rose's questions in a very brush over manner, but enough to just appease her sort of like, so what's the, what's a police public call box? Oh, it's a police box from the 1950s. It's discussed. Okay. And then she moves on to the next thing. It sort of gives the audience enough information to be like, yeah, but why is it a police box from the 1950s? And that creates then that intrigue of like wanting to watch the next episode to sort of, like psychologically, you sort of like I want to know why he's in a police box from yeah. the 1950s. Like, Unlike I want to know about this. I want to know about this. Future Who, there's not masses that's left just open. If mm-hmm. they bring up something that might be important later, then it will be important later. Like, there's still things in the most recent series that I'm still waiting to hear about, oh, which I'm yeah. assuming we will. Um, the the, the where, <laughs> where 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 the, where the in resolution when there's that building that company with the very Daleky looking symbol on the front where they managed to get parts for this rebuilt reconnaissance Dalek whether that's going to reappear probably in, just fun service. whether it's going to be reappearing in Revolution of the Daleks at Christmas this year I don't know but like it's stuff like that that gets left up in the air but with series one they really do give you a full painted picture of the character before he regenerates into a new mm-hmm. body so series one is genuinely the best place to start because it yeah. tells you so much more than you would know just from watching Tennant through as much as he does as much as we hear more about like Gallifrey with Tennant in series three like we it's not necessary to the character it's not necessary yet so it's always worth watching series one for that so the they, they track the nesting down to underneath London there's this fantastic sequence of (laughs) <laughs> um, Eccleston working out where the rate right, where the dish is, and again, it, it's that sort of that silly, whimsical alien nature of the Doctor showing again that we last saw in Rose's flat when he's like, "What?" Looking at the London Eye, like a dish, like a wheel, slap back in the middle of London must be completely invisible. He and knows it's the London Eye. Like it takes he, him three glances to realise that that's what Rose is talking about. It's like it's the London Eye, you idiot! It's and there. What I love about that scene, she doesn't say a word. She literally just like raises her eyebrows and does a subtle nod, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like if they did that in the most recent series, I would have genuinely, I would have, if we had the current Doctor and the current companions, Yaz would have gone. The London Eye, that's it. And the Doctor goes, yes, it's the London Eye. Oh my God, Did it's you such know a that big was, dish. That was built in 1999 <laughs> or whatever it was, whenever it was built for the millennium or something and she'd go yeah. off on one. Like they just, they, again, they, they do so much more with so, with so little. The expositionary things they do in such a different way and that's why series one is so good. <laughs> even, even though there are points, when there are moments when in, in series one, episode 11 more specifically, where they do just give you a bunch of exposition in one go, they deliberately do it in such a way to make it sound dumb. Yeah. Um, which again we'll get to uh, which I will hopefully if I remember to call back to this episode <laughs> of the podcast when we get to episode 11 then you'll know what I mean um, so they go down and they you see the nesting consciousness for the first time in God knows how many years so I think the Autons only appeared in you like, missed out on Eccleston's classic line that's where we get the first ever fantastic, fantastic. very true first ever fantastic his, uh, his catchphrase mm-hmm. um, because I think the Autons only appeared in like two stories Prior to this, I'm aware. Spearhead from Space and Terror of the Autons. I might be wrong. I feel like there might be another one, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So you'll have to let us know on like social media and or if you're if you're listening to this on the YouTube version in if the comments. If we're very wrong about that. <laughs> if we're very wrong, but I think there's only two uh, appearances. But so we see the nesting consciousness who's turned into this big like lava ball with kind of a face, sort of a face. Mm-hmm. It kind of there are moments when you kind of see a nose and a mouth. Which one is a bit thing strange. I always question here is uh, Mickey is like, oh my God, that thing, it can talk. And yet you never hear a word of English out of its mouth. Like no. the doctor can communicate Admittedly, with it. Admittedly, it does say Time Lord. 
Does it? It does very... You can hear a very raspy Time Lord. I think it's when... Well, uh, how would Mickey be like, oh my God, it talks like it doesn't speak English, clearly. I, I think <laughs> I think it means... I think he's looking at it and thinking it's like, it's just... It's speaking a language. Yeah. But I think he... I think it means... I think when he says it talks, I don't think he means that as in he's... It's communicating. I think it's more of a... It's alive. Oh, right. Yeah, I think I may, maybe they... I think rather than give Mickey the line, it, Rose, it's 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 alive, it's a living thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, duh. Yeah. Like, obviously. No. But the idea that it can talk is a bit different. Because yeah. again, back in the classic series, I can't remember whether it does talk, whether it's talking through like a computer or a person in the original series. I've not seen the original Terror of the Autons stuff. I've seen bits and bobs of it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but... And just, and then it's also the idea that the doctor can communicate with it and can understand yeah. it. Obviously, he's got. I think he. I think it is Eccleston that has a million has a, a, a line about having a billion languages. I can't remember what episode it episodes but it's in. Isn't it also then you get obviously later on like you know spoilers, but the uh, Tardis translation Tardis translating. thing like that's not prevalent in this episode. That's a very and I think that's really kind of actually. Do you know what? It's not even in. Um, no, sorry. I was about to say, oh, that only that only appears in the Christmas Invasion, but that's the realization that the Doctor's woken up again when it's yeah. like I only speak when it's yeah, yeah. yeah, but it does. Yeah, you're right. There is that whole Tardis translates thing, and as much as Rose has been in the Tardis at this point, obviously it doesn't translate. She's to it not. Yet. Yeah, she's not been in there long enough. Or it might actually be in this next episode. I, I think it know. is actually because but I, the, I all quite these like aliens. that because it's it's sort of like it promotes the fact that it's an alien and like the doctor oh the doctor can communicate with this alien yeah. oh that's quite interesting and like you said it doesn't sort of it gives you the mystery of like why is he why can he understand this nesting consciousness that basically sounds like Wah. yeah it's just making noises <laughs> and he can understand it perfectly um, there's and then there's obviously the the nesting finds his ship and he goes oh god that's higher technology we're gonna start the invasion now and then the shop window dummies wake up. And Clive and his family are, you know, funnily enough, walking through a shopping centre at this point. Shopping. And he's just like, it's all true, it's all true. And the the, the, the Auton flicks his hand down and shoots Clive in the face. Poor his face Poor when he realises he's going to die. And he's literally just like, no, come on. Yeah, he lo- he's like, I know that death follows the Doctor around because he says that to Rose. Yeah. And he's like, yes, it is, it is all true. The Doctor is back. And then he sees the thing come down and he goes... Oh yeah, there's death too. Crap. Yeah. And obviously, we don't know whether his wife and uh, kid survives. I think so because I think you I'm see a... them running off in the street at the end. Maybe. But and just on a little segue about Clive, I think that's a real shame. Mm. A lot of people, um, there's a couple of like meme accounts on Twitter I follow <laughs> of Doctor Who that kind of take the piss out of Clive a little bit. But I think clive as a character could have been really interesting to yeah. crop up very occasionally throughout the course of the series but or then, at least the russell t davies era run because i'd love the idea of there being this like doctor obsessive not so much like um uh osgood oh yeah who is very much the representation fangirl. of the fangirl in the series as much as osgood is a fantastic character mm. um more of just this odd uh, man who's obsessed with the Doctor. Just pottering around. Yeah, and just occasionally cropping up again. Like, imagine if there was a, an episode in the future, say, something like School Reunion in Series 2 when Sarah Jane Smith comes back, where it's not Sarah Jane, it's Clive, because mm-hmm. he's searching all this thing and he's trying his best to find or the Doctor after Rose happens, supposedly disappears. If he just happens to be in the background of a shot somewhere and it's sort of like, oh my God, there's Clive. And it's yeah, like a little, a little Easter egg, egg thing. Here's Clive. I think that'd have been really cool to see him crop up again or just like towards the end or... 
they need help from someone who can know things and bits and pieces about the doctor and lo and behold they just get they ring up clive and Mm -hmm. he's back in his shed like i think the the idea that he's got all of this work and he just goes up in smoke at the end of the episode it's quite a shame yeah it's one of the things i think looking back as much as i said i'm very biased i could criticize about but then i suppose also it sort of puts into perspective the danger of things because like he says it himself like the doctor's constant companion is death and Rose is like, is it always going to be this dangerous? It's like, she's literally, I mean, she doesn't know he's died, but we, as an audience, from an audience perspective, we do. It sort of really sort of puts into perspective for us how dangerous it actually is. Like, this guy literally met Rose once and, oh, oh God, he's dead now. Like, and, you know, Rose is travelling with the Doctor all the time. That could be her any second. Like, I mean, obviously you get that throughout, like, the mortal peril thing is a very constant theme. But, like, for him, he was just a passing character. And I think that sort of really puts into perspective how dangerous these things are. Like, they don't care who they kill. They just kill whoever and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think losing Clive was a bit of a shame because it would have been cool to see him crop up again. But again, you are right. Wouldn't shows you have just loved to see him in the background of the cafe in, like, Boomtown? You know, in that very first... Is it Boomtown when they're sat in the cafe all having a laugh and a joke in or Cardiff, whatever? Yeah, yeah and, and Clive's there just behind in the newspaper background. just like... That would have been so Oh, cool. my God, it's him. <laughs> like, or just seeing him, like, crop... Kind of like how um, when the Doctor meets Malcolm Lee Evans yeah. in Planet of the Dead and he's like, oh, I love you! And he gives him a hug and he's like, it's you, it's really you! Um, and kind of like... Sort of like... I mean, then again, now I'm talking about that, you have Linda in series two which we'll get to oh. Love and Monsters which is a quite an iconic episode of Doctor Who for very many reasons well, Lin- wait what Linda Love and Monsters Love and Monsters Linda the, the organisation not the person oh I was going to say I'm thinking of Linda from, Linda from series, the series one from yeah, the- yeah 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 <laughs> um, when they try and track down the Doctor in the end like that kind of thing is interesting um, but Again, yeah, losing club was a shame. Poor so, life. yeah, they defeat the nesting consciousness and they they continue on. And Mickey's all a bit shaken up as he is, and he's just been in the TARDIS. You don't see him in the TARDIS for the first time. Uh, there, you see him in the TARDIS towards the middle of the series. No, I think that was um, done very specifically to sort of keep it very personal. They don't, between need, they don't need to show him reacting to yeah, it. Like he's just a bit shaken. As an audience, sort of. Um, trope we don't need to see someone else reacting to yeah the and to be honest reacting to the TARDIS got a bit old yeah like especially when Clara they tried to mix it up with Clara saying it's smaller on the outside and it's like okay whatever but yeah so then it gets towards the end and um you know Jackie's been out she nearly dies and thankfully she's okay and the doctor offers Rose the companion position and Obviously, up to this is the first proper point when you can look at this, when you look back mm. on this series and this episode after you know it, all the things that happened between 96 and now and all the stuff that's going to happen in the future. And the Doctor offers Rose the, the chance, to, the trip of a lifetime, as he says in the first trailer, to, to go and go about the stars and see anything you want to do. You can stay here and eat chips, go to bed, or you can go anywhere. And she says no. And you see the Doctor really... He just completely drops. I think it's it's a really, really subtle thing as well, though, because, like, Eccleston goes from being sort of like, oh, you could, you know, come with me if you like, and he has the hope in his voice, but his face stays very stock still. And even, then when she says, even when he says, I like, can't. it's always this dangerous, he's like, yeah. He's, like, yeah. he's excited about the fact it's dangerous. But then she's sort of like, no, I can't. And you, you just sort of see him go, Okay, and it's his voice that gives you that line. Yeah, as you say, even oh. his, he just seems to drop. I think I, even looks as if he sort of takes half a step back, and he sort of he sort of darkens mm. into the shadow of the of the TARDIS. And you can see her like so and 
itching to go, but she's like, oh, I've got to take care of it. And she quite literally is, is like, I've got to take care of this lump. Like, um, and obviously as the series progresses and you realise how long it's been for mm. the Doctor since he's been with a companion, um, it's it's really, it's so well mapped out that you knew what Russell was going for with his his four, obviously I don't know how many series he was um, on for initially, but obviously he did four series as the showrunner and mm-hmm. the, the specials, which kind of constitutes as like a fifth ish because it was it was uh, Tennant's last couple of uh, episodes were all specials. Um, so seeing that happen, especially when you know how things were for him, yeah. it's 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 honestly heartbreaking. It's like he's the first, this is the first companion or the first person he's put. He's kind of trusted. He's to, opened to, up to them, yeah, yeah. In, in like the most subtle way. Because I mean, like the fact that he even told her who he was in the first place and he was still vague about it yeah apart from saying apart the only blunt answers he gave was are you an alien yes yeah that's basically it <laughs> otherwise I mean, he gave very mystical myth like mm-hmm. mythical almost answers to questions you Rose could just had. see him sort of being like oh okay well people only ever let you down then don't they and then <laughs> leaves and then comes back and says oh it travels in time and for that, some that reason that, kind for of some last... reason that change makes her change her mind and that makes that that makes me think does she initially think i can go and see my dad personally i'm not sure i'm not sure that it was the oh by the way did i mention it travels in time that convinced her i personally think it was just the fact that he came back for her because she's 19 she's not yeah like in the first instance he that that kind of long pause because you do have that long pause i mean i say long it was probably only a good few like 10 seconds pause between them looking at each other and the camera flicking back and forth between when before she says no to his first question of them looking at each other and you can see that she wants to say yes like that's it's sort of like oh but i can't it's when mickey grabs her and she's like oh yeah wait i've got this idiot here and she's never had anyone i say apart from mickey but even mickey's not really like there for her like he wants to go to the pub after a job's been blown up like this is the first person especially having lost her dad that she ever has known to come back for her and i think that is kind of the way that they put is like she really wanted to go she said no and then he goes I'm going to give you a second chance. And she's like, yeah, do you know what? Screw, Screw it. it. Like, <laughs> I might as well. So the show, she then runs off into the TARDIS in awkward slow motion. Door yeah. closes. Yeah. I mean, I, they kind of had to, because if you have someone just running in normal speed, it's a little bit weird. It's a bit abrupt. It? Yeah. <laughs> it's very blatant, especially when the stinger comes in for the title yeah. sequence. It's like, yeah, this is very much the end of the episode. And the door closes and we hit the next time thing, which was a Ooh. new, which was a new thing for Doctor Who. They didn't do that back in the old series where they gave you a glimpse of what was coming next. So next week we have The End of the World, which is yes. um, the Doctor and Rose on a space station watching the world end quite literally. Right. We'll also give you more of a, an idea as to what that will be when we actually get onto that next week. But obviously if you've watched the episode, you've just seen the next time and seen what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rose... As we've sort of discussed, is a really fantastic place to start the yeah. the first episode back because this you know rebooting the show is not an easy task by no, any stretch, especially when there is you know at this point what like twenty five nearly thirty years of uh, of law yeah already established about the time lords and the doctor and the and all the races that we've seen. Uh, who, who do recur through the series, but also it's not just thirty years of law; it's thirty years of like fandom building. Like mm. I know they're called fandoms now; that's a very modern thing. But like you know, it's it's thirty years of or of like generations of people that have watched Doctor Who from when it began, yeah, and have sort of come into this era and been like, oh, 
but you know this is starting up again that's and it's sort of having to pay tribute to them but also introduce it to a whole new audience and i think russell t davis did that so the balance well. so well done and like yeah as you're saying the fan the, the fan base the, the presence being there it was always there throughout the 90s like mm-hmm. The big finish stuff, um, the audio dramas were like unofficial and then they sort of became official yeah. because they were re- they were so popular. Um, you know, Chris Chibnall back in the day was like part of the Doctor Appreciation Society and he appeared on TV um, talking about the show. Stephen Moffat was always writing fan stuff and he wrote The um, Curse of Fatal Death, which was aired in like 2002, 2001 maybe, or 99 for Comic Relief with uh, Ron Atkinson as a doctor. That, that was written by Stephen Moffat. So he had, he had his uh, feet in the show or a foot kind of in the show. Nicholas Briggs was picked up for the voice of the Daleks and yeah. various... I mean, he's actually the nesting conscious as well. Is it? Yeah, that's <laughs> cool. Nick Briggs. And he was picked up because he did Dalek voices in the Big Finish audio plays. Ah, and now right. he's become like... Um, the classic he's, Dalek. He's like a... I, think, I don't know whether he has a part in like launching Big Finish. He might have done, but I know he's a big producer on mm. the audio stuff. And obviously he plays a bunch of roles in, in Doctor Who, mainly voice roles, but he has appeared in Torchwood. All right. Uh, as himself, he was part of a, the parliamentary cabinet during Children of Earth. He's in that. Nice. Um, so he became a huge part of the show because of that following that was still present through the night through the nineties. Um, we'll get to this eventually, but an adventure in space and time by Mark Gatiss. Oh. He wanted to make that back on the fortieth anniversary, which was obviously two thousand and three. Yeah. He wanted to make that documentary, that docudrama, back then. But he didn't get the green light to do it until 2013. Well, I mean, I suppose in 2003, you never know where the show is going to go. Exactly, the show was still in completely hi- complete hiatus. Yeah, but I exactly. think it was either late 2003 or very early 2004. I want to say it was 2003 when they when the BBC press office revealed they were they were rebooting the show. Yeah, well, by then they would have hopefully like filmed. It I think production after or- the the huge uproar of people on the, on the 30th anniversary, 40th anniversary of the show, seeing how popular it still was mm-hmm. and i think the big finish stuff picking up as well like that pointed the bbc to look at it and go okay maybe we could give us another go and as i said earlier michael grade who just crapped on the show back in the 80s even he enjoyed the reboot series i don't know how much of the reboot series he watched but he watched rose and he liked it well and then. that was somebody <laughs> who hates sci-fi and you know like i said the person who killed the show off back in the 80s but he liked but we're it. not bitter <laughs> yeah, not at all. No, no Doctor Who fan is bitter about Michael Grade. They definitely are. I mean, to be they fair though, him. I sort of feel like maybe I know that it was a bad thing that we did at the time, and like you know, in hindsight, we can sort of sit there and go, "He's the bad guy." Mm. But actually, we wouldn't have got this amazing reboot well, exactly. and Who and stuff. Exactly. Things if the, the, way if they the film, so if, yeah, it might be a bit of a poo head. But <laughs> if the film hadn't have flopped in '96, then we wouldn't have had the reboot either. Mm. We'd have had some weird American reboot that would have Ugh. changed a lot of things. How about we do? And <laughs> I, I say in a video, I think it's out yet. Actually, I don't think it. No, it's not. Uh, uh, Bit of a bit spoiler. Of a, bit of a, not spoiler. A bit of a tease there for a video I've got coming out soon um, about how what the show would have been if it was picked up in '96 after the movie. Mm. It would have been very strange, and the Brits probably would have hated it because it would have been American run, American run Doctor Who. Not really too keen on that idea. No, no. But that was Rose series one, episode one, 26th <laughs> of March, 2005. Woo-hoo. That was. 15 years ago like just just just, o- over, just 15 over 15 years, years ago because it's currently the 17th of may today yes uh, 17th of may okay 2020 that we've started this podcast wow <laughs> so that has been the first ever episode of escaping Casteverus, which makes let's make sense to doctor who people 
the term escaping Castabras I mean, to non-Doctor Who people? Probably not so much. You sort of say that, but even my sister was like, what's Castabras? I mean, it's not like Tennant says it about 50 times during no. a series, but, you know, we'll get there. The constellation of Castabras. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, let us know what you thought about this. You can find us on uh, on social media. I'm currently trying to get access to the old Who Culture Twitter account that was made for What Culture back in the day, but we can't seem to get back in. Fun fact. So we're trying. I'm in the process of contacting Twitter to get that up and running again. But if you want to talk to us on social media, give us some uh, opinions of what you thought about the episode. You got any ideas for things you want to hear on these episodes? Because we're kind of going into this pretty blind. Yeah. Um, if you've got any ideas for things you want to hear us talk about about these particular episodes, then please do come and find us on social media. You can find me on on Twitter at PickupChangeToe. And me at Ames underscore Elizabeth. Yes, I'm sure I'll put these on the tweets as well when, yeah. we, when we reveal, we release the first episode, which hopefully will be at some point during the week uh, after we've recorded this because we're still in the process of getting this on, on board with Acast, mm-hmm. which should be really good. But uh, next week, as I said, we'll be continuing with The End of the World, good Series episode. 1, Episode Great episode. Again, series one is just immaculate the whole way through, in my (laughs) opinion. But that's just, I'm a bit biased about that. But thank you very, very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've new to the series entirely, please let us know what you thought about uh, about Rose. Not so much, I mean, about the podcast too, but also about Rose over on the socials. Thank you all very much for listening. I have been Rich. I have been Amy. And we'll see you next week. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.